Hey, y'all, just a quick heads up. The episode you're about to listen to is eight to 10 years old. Now, these episodes were intended to be evergreen, and I still believe there's a lot of good information in these early episodes, but I do want to let you know that some of my ideas have evolved over time. Times have changed since we made these episodes, and ultimately, I'd like to think I've grown a lot as an artist and a human and that these don't necessarily represent my best work or the best of the podcast. If you're new around here, I suggest starting with the most recent episode or at least go back to around 300 and move forward from there. Enjoy the episode. Think about a thing that you did intuitively and then walk backwards Mm -hmm. and ask yourself, why did I do that thing? everybody you're listening to the creative pep talk podcast this show is about commercial art making a good living and making great art is it possible we will try to figure that out together uh i gotta thank my syndicate of the show illustration age you can find this show at illustrationage.com slash creative pep talk i'm your host andy j miller some people call me andy j pizza some really uh Some people with questionable judgment call me Dr. Pizza, and I may or may not have perpetuated that. Anyway, thank you for listening. Let's get into the show. This episode is supported by In The Making, an original podcast brought to you by Adobe Express, the all-in-one content creation app included in your Creative Cloud membership. If you are trying to boost the YouTube, TikTok, Reels content side of what you're doing, one episode of In the Making that I think will be super useful to you is their episode with John Yushai. I think John's method for including his audience in the process is really inspiring. And if you want to hear about that and more about leveling up your game in the creator economy, just search In the Making in your podcast player to listen. Many thanks to In The Making and Adobe Express for their support. I really needed to rehaul my website. I was talking to some web people, looking around, and I got intrigued by Squarespace's new Fluid Engine, partially because it just sounds cool, but also because it allows you to drag and resize and layer up anything you can imagine. I dove in, rebuilt my site, It's the most me site that I've ever had. I just absolutely love it. Launched it, got such a great response. Some industry illustration and designy peers even reached out and was like, hey, who coded this thing, man? I'm like, y'all, I did it by myself. No coding with Squarespace's new Fluid Engine. I told him like, you should go check it out. You're gonna be surprised with what you can do. And I built this thing before Squarespace reached out to sponsor the show. So I was like, boom, easy peasy. I was gonna tell you about this new site anyway. Go check it out, anyjpizza.com if you wanna see what I did with it. If you want to try it yourself, make a site that's totally you where you can build a portfolio, sell content and courses and all kinds of other stuff, head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain with promo code PEPTALK, all one word, all uppercase.
Oh my gosh, I am so thrilled about this episode. I am so pumped to share a conversation that I had with Jessica Hish while I was at Icon. Creative Pep Talk was a media sponsor for Icon this year. We had an absolute blast. Man, that week was so fantastic. I got to meet so many great people, recorded a bunch of interviews, had just generally a fantastic time at that conference. It was just so awesome. It was like uh, um, seeing you know so many good friends and catching up and meeting so many new people. And this was one of my big highlights was getting to sit down with Jessica and have a long conversation about her career and just her perspective on what makes her different and and what she's done in her career that has really worked. And it was just super awesome. I've been a big fan of her work for a long time. And I'm not, you know, obsessed with lettering per se. I really do like lettering as a piece of design. But I think what has inspired me the most about Jessica's career is her ability to be really, really clever in her personal projects and how those things have propelled her career forward and differentiated her from the masses. You know, I've just found her ability to be really personable and human in her work has been inspiring to me since I got started. And we get to talk a lot about that and we talk about Um, Just all kinds of things that make her different and have served her in her career. We also talk about being a mother to, uh, to a baby and how that's affected her work and how people perceive her and the different challenges that she has as a woman in that situation. And I think that might be really helpful to a lot of you and it'll be definitely a good perspective for many of you. But, you know, really honestly, it was just a great time getting to sit down and go through all of these ideas that she has about uh, being a creative professional. And, you know, I am a genuine fan. I think that she has a remarkably high level of craft in her work, and she was just a lovely person to sit down and talk to. So I know you're going to really, really enjoy this. Now, one thing I want to tell you, If uh, you haven't seen, I have another podcast out. It's just a short, little, snippy, uh, snappy (laughs) podcast called Ask a Freelancer that is brought to you by Cushion. Cushion is an app that helps you schedule your freelance career and budget your freelance career by a friend of mine named Johnny Hallman. He's a developer and it's a really, really great app. I've just started using it, and it's you know the functionality is great, and I think the brand is just phenomenal. You can go to cushionapp.com and sign up for a free 14-day trial, and even after that 14 days, you're not going to be auto-subscribed for good. So there's no risk. Go check it out if you're trying to manage your freelance career and it becomes uh, really hard for you to do. Go check that out. It's really good. And go check out our podcast where I answer your freelance questions. It's been really, really good. The response to the podcast has been awesome. And it's a cool companion um, with different material uh, than the uh, Creative Pep Talk. So go check that out. Now, without any more blabbing or blubbering, let's get into this really fantastic conversation from, from the very insightful Jessica Hish. 
One more note for those of you listening with kiddos, there is some language in this episode, so be, you have been warned. That you're a new mom of a new letterpress machine. Yes. Right? Oh my God. I love where this is going. Yeah, I, wanted to, <laughs> I wanted to catch you off guard there. Uh, so yeah, what, what's the story with that? So the story is, I used to do a lot of printing when I lived in New York because mm-hmm. I had a relationship with a studio there called The Arm. Okay. And like I, the guy that runs it, Dan Morris, is awesome. Like it's still there if you want to print. Um, I don't know how long he's going to like keep it in in Williamsburg and stuff but it's amazing he does workshops and you can rent press time um it's called the arm the arm so I learned how to print from him like I paid for some private lessons and then we had a good relationship where like basically if I had a project in mind and I wanted to print it was really easy for me to figure out a way to get on a press right and um because of that and because like really the cost of letterpress is not extreme, it's just mm-hmm. sort of like you have to make sure you have your files and you have to order away for plates because mm-hmm. like most shops don't have a plate, like, you know, not smaller shops don't have a plate maker. Yeah. Um, then you can like make stuff relatively inexpensively. It's mm-hmm. not like you have to worry like, oh, I'm going to shell out like four grand to yeah, print yeah. some posters. Yep. And because of that. I was like, you know, oh, I'm going to make a thing today and I'm going to print it tomorrow or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I was much more adventurous about the stuff I was making. And then when I moved to California, I always sort of intended to figure out a way to print more, but never made it happen Mm -hmm. because Center for Book there is great. But I had heard from people that it's kind of difficult to get press time and I didn't have a relationship with them. And I had always sort of... It's a bunch of hurdles. It's it's enough. It was like... Actually, not that many hurdles, but enough hurdles that I was like, I'll just do that later or whatever. And then so it had been like five years since I had printed anything. And when I was in my heyday of printing in Brooklyn, I was like, I'm going to own a press someday. And Mm -hmm. Dan would be like, why would you own a press when you have access to my shop? And I'm like, ah, you're probably right. No reason. (laughs) And then, um, but recently I've been wanting to make more prints and I usually hire a studio on fire um, to do them because they do such an amazing job. But the issue is if you're going to, pay to have something printed in order to keep the per print cost down you want to print a high volume yeah yeah and if you're going to print a high volume you want to make something that you know is going to sell mm-hmm. because otherwise so you're, you're sitting like, on a thousand prints for on. 10 years yeah yeah so i was making prints of things that i knew would sell well which would limit the kind of artwork that i would make uh-huh. so my friend brit was um posted on facebook that she was selling the press that she bought like only a year ago mm. um from this other woman, Jordan Fernie, and she would just posted like, "Hey, I'm selling this Vandercook, which is like a model that I used to print on at. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a Vandercook number four at the Arm. Um, if anybody wants to buy it, let me know. Otherwise, I'm going to post it to Craigslist." And yeah. so I wrote her, and I was like, "Oh my god, I want to buy it!" <laughs> and she was going to sell it for a really high amount of money, um, just because they are rare these days, and and yeah. especially in the Bay Area, you can like you can get a lot of money for it. Mm-hmm. But we worked out like a deal so that I could buy it for what I felt like the press was right. more worth. Yeah, and then yeah. um, I did kind of an exchange with her to do some 
uh, logo critique work on stuff that they were working, which is awesome. That's awesome. And so it was a bit of a, a thing to get it actually in my backyard studio, but it's there yeah, now. Yeah, they're like crazy heavy. Yeah, it's 1,200 pounds, oh and there's gosh. not a lot of people that actually know how to move them. Like, How did you get it? I had to hire a specific like printing press moving company. That is crazy. That is run by these two like septuagenarians that are like these brothers that just poke fun at each other the whole time and it took them like seven hours to move it from my driveway into my backyard studio um but yeah now it's there and i've honestly been like it feels like this fire has been lit in me like creatively because now i just there's no limit to like what i can do because if Mm -hmm. i just pay 60 bucks to get some plates made like within two days I could be printing that design Mm. and maybe I only want to print 50 of them because it's like a weird thing. Or maybe I want to print 300 of them because I have four hours to do so or whatever. Mm -hmm. And it's just so nice to like know that I can make things that aren't necessarily like a love poster or, you know, like, you know, something that I know (laughs) that is going to appeal to the masses. Mm -hmm. Um, and what's too, what's nice about it too is like, I have a real, thing about making things that are utilitarian like i really like yeah, making stuff that other people can use mm-hmm. and so it's been a real thing that has prevented me from making a lot of new posters because i have this huge fear that like my my life is just making motivational posters and i don't <laughs> want that to be a thing and yeah. so uh and the idea of making greeting cards has always been something i wanted to make but i also don't want to like print 5000 yeah. cards and then have to deal with that and like maybe they don't sell and then i have boxes of inventory forever whatever mm-hmm. and so now i'm excited to like just do super small runs of greeting cards and kind of just like play around and yeah. make weird stuff that has curses on it yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i do feel like uh the, the 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 less hurdles that you have to create things or the less uh pressure that you're putting on yourself you have you know so much more room to make mistakes and yeah and i think too it's really i think the later you are in your career the more aware you are of the repercussions that come from putting things into the world and that can be a huge hurdle Mm. whereas when you're young yeah like a fear i mean like i know that i only have so much time to work Mm. on things especially now like you know my time is a lot more limited being Mm -hmm. a parent and things like that and so it feels like my time is very expensive. And mm. then it's like, how do I want to spend like, the time that, the time that I do it. have? And that can put a lot of pressure on you to like, make sure that like every hour that you spend is worth, you know, is doing yeah. something either profitable or something that is like actually like advancing your career or yeah. your creative dream or whatever. Yeah. And, um, it takes out a lot of experimentation time because it's really easy to look at that time as being wasted time, even though it's mm. clearly not like, yes. you know, like if you think about it, you know yeah. that it's not, yep. but like if you're sitting there trying to justify your hours in the studio and you only have four hours to work on something, like yep. it's pretty easy to say like, Oh, I didn't do anything today. I just fucked around with a lettering brush, whatever. Yeah. And I think for a parent, it's like a double edged sword where, I think a lot of people get really serious about their career when they become parents, so that's good. Like, yeah. That kind of can accelerate things, but on the flip side, uh, the creativity, I think, can suffer. My wife um, does embroidery. She went to school for embroidery, and it's such a time-intensive thing. Oh, yeah. And having three kids, she has such a hard time doing it because yeah. she's just like, it's so time-intensive. And then also, you know, your best creativity is going to come from when – you're not trying to force something. You're like playing. You're having yeah. a good time. And so all of a sudden when you're scrutinizing every minute that you're not, you know, giving to your kid, um, 
that can cause you to freeze up and not make good work. Yeah. Um, so I think that that's like a really big challenge. Um, how has having Ramona, um, if, <laughs> do you mind if I say her name? No, right you're here? welcome okay. to. Yeah. Um, I guess you're public about that. Um, how has that changed things for you? Well, it's definitely made me have to keep a tighter schedule for sure. Like mm -hmm. I, like kids are, they thrive on super tight schedules for sure. True. Yeah, and that's so, totally true. um, but even for me, like knowing that there are only certain times of the day that I'll get to hang out with her, um, it means that I really have to compact my work day. Mm -hmm. And also too, like, you know, there's just a lot of shit you have to do with a kid that <laughs> is like, you're like, oh, I guess I'm up at seven and the morning routine is two hours long. And mm -hmm. like, that's a thing that if someone had an emergency and needed a project, you know, yeah. finalized or whatever during that time, it would be almost impossible. Mm. Like, and she's having a real like, I want to be held by my mom all the time moment yeah. right now. So like even like while I'm making oh a gosh. smoothie for her in the morning, I have to like do it all one handed because yeah. if I put her down on the ground, she basically just claws at my legs and screams while my, I'm making yeah, a smoothie for her. Like that. Yeah. And it's my so wife. intense. Oh so gosh. like you just learn that you have to work. Like if you're at your office, you are working. Like you know, if you you establish your office hours, mm -hmm. like if even if that's a home office, yeah. Um, I have a separate office, but um, you know, if you work from home, you have to have your like separate workspace. And then when you are there, you are working. You are not doing kid stuff. Yes. And then totally. you have to be more open to working at night too, if you need to, because like that's really because kids go to like once you once they're on a good bedtime, like you know seven thirty or whatever, then that whole rest of the night, basically until 10, you know, like when you go to bed yeah, as yeah. a parent, <laughs> you, uh, you have the ability to do the things that you couldn't do during the day. Like, mm -hmm. you know, because a kid was climbing up your leg or because a client requested a last minute revision, but you couldn't get it done by 4 PM or 5 PM when you needed to leave the office, whatever. Yeah. Um, and that's, it's hard to be motivated to work at night when you're tired. Totally. And, you know, I used to do like all of my for fun work at night mm -hmm. and what I have found um, recently, and this isn't even just kid related, this is like professional related too, is that when I have a for fun project that I'm really, really excited about and I really feel like I need to work on it, yeah. I actually do it during the day, during right. my work day. And then I work on client work at night because my energy is great and like during the day and yeah, you well, give also that to it. My, well, I know that, if I'm working on a client project and I have a deadline tomorrow, I can't just be like, you know what? Never mind. I'm tired right. and yeah. go to bed. You know? Oh, true. Yeah, yeah. And right. so if like the the deadline set by another human and knowing that I can't disappoint them mm -hmm. keeps me on task in the evening rather than, you know, giving into the siren song of watching another <laughs> Netflix show yeah. or going to bed a little early or taking a bath or getting yeah. a drink with a friend or whatever. And so if That's I spend very strategic, yeah, yeah, it works really well. Yeah. And so like if I spend my whole day working on my for fun project and then go home and like immediately know as soon as Ramona goes to bed, I have to be like to on it. it. Yeah. Um, then it's, that's how I'm the most productive. Mm -hmm. That's really smart. Do you, uh, I, I know that like having a kid is such a personal thing. Has that changed your perspective on your, on like the big life view? Um, and has that changed your work in any way? Well, I think, I think the bigger change actually came when I moved to San Francisco. Okay. Because I felt like once I got out of New York, all of the like, 
working for the sake of working didn't impress me anymore. Mm. Like I felt like one of the things about being in New York that is really good is that there is this culture where you can forgive yourself for wanting to work all the time. Like mm. if you're actually excited about working all the time and you tell people about it, they're like, oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Go, go, go Do you. More of that. Do yeah. more of that. Yeah. Um, and everyone talks about it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's not uncommon where you have friends telling you like, oh my God, I'm, I have my first Saturday off in three years, yeah. you know, and stuff like that. And you're yeah. like, oh man, you're getting so much done, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And there is this real like, you know, award system for that. Mm-hmm. In New York, yeah, yeah, and um, and I missed it really intensely when I moved to California because I felt like I relied really heavily on having that culture around mm-hmm. me to keep me working those hours. Yep. and I was getting like you know more. I was outputting more when I lived in New York, yep. but I can't necessarily say that like the volume was necessary. Right. You know, like, and I think that's sort of what I learned from being on the east on the west coast is that like. It's of course impressive to be mm-hmm. a high volume person maker, in term maker. Yeah. Um, that's very impressive. Mm-hmm. Um, but ultimately, as long as you're creating, you know, like ten to twenty things a year that you're like actually proud of, yeah. you know, I think that's pretty high volume. Yes, you know, and I think that if you take that perspective with your work, then the fact that you like did eight projects in one week yep. no longer seems to really matter. And it's no. just like anything beyond that is gravy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so my schedule and perception on what productivity meant changed yeah. a lot in moving to the West Coast. So then when I had Ramona, it actually didn't feel like as dramatic of a shift. Hmm. Um, I think if I had moved to California and had a had baby, a baby simultaneously, yeah. or I also feel like probably people that have kids on the East Coast or in New York might have a much harder time with the adjustment because mm. you really do go from like 120 to zero, yeah. you know, for at least a yeah, few months. Totally. And I think that can be really shocking for some mm. people. But if you're already at this like more comfortable work pace, um, it can be, it's hard, but I mean, it's, it's not like a crazy shock to the system. Yeah. And I found that like, for me, I feel like I'm just starting to get to this place where my work has some depth to it, to where I found like, like the things I put in my talks and and all that, that are really powerful come from life. And that if I'm working all the time, I'm not, I don't actually have life. Yeah. And I kind of liken it to like the sophomore album of a, of a band, like all they've done for two years is music tour, be in the recording studio. And so they do a album about being a musician. It's yeah. like really boring. Um, and I found that if I don't have those things, like um, if I don't go to the zoo and, you know, see penguins and read about them, like I'm not, I don't have all that influence. And all of a sudden I'm like learning something uh, applicable to life yeah. that I can put into my work. And when you're at your desk every second of the day, you don't have that. And yeah. all of a sudden, all of your design is about design for designers. And it's just like, yeah, you know. and it's, I, th- I think that too, that kind of work, of course, has an audience. It does. And, and people are, I'm, and I'm not it. dissing it. No, yeah, anything. yeah. No, yeah. but I think the thing is, like, your own personal enthusiasm for that kind of work can't last forever. True. You know, I think that, like, and I think that. I noticed that in my career too, where I was like so fucking psyched to make yeah. work for designers. I'm like, I could make design posters for designers like literally yes. all day long. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, my interest in that just started tapering off. And mm-hmm. then that's when I was having issues of like, oh, I don't want to be a motivational poster maker yeah. because the idea of just like making posters about graphic design for graphic designers was just not thrilling me anymore. Yes. 
Um, and I think too, once you're like, once you've been in an industry for a little while, especially if like an industry grows around you, you know, mm-hmm. like lettering when I started out was like nothing. nothing yeah. And then now it's like so many people love it. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, like I had a little, I had a part in that by being such an advocate for lettering, Absolutely. but, um, and I'm excited about all the people that are doing it and how people know what I do now and yeah. that I don't have to like explain literally every time I talk to a client, like what yeah, it is I do for a living. Um, but it can be really like intense all of a sudden when the work that you're doing, like suddenly there's thousands of other people doing it. And then sometimes they're doing it a lot better than you right. because they have more time, right. you know, oh, and yeah. or more enthusiasm. Yeah. You know, like I still have a lot of enthusiasm for lettering, but I don't have enthusiasm for making posters about graphic design for graphic designers. True. So if I'm going to do a poster like that, someone else is going to do a better job because yeah. they are like in the thick of like, everything's amazing. <laughs> I want to spend 50 hours on this. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. No, I totally understand that. And I, you know, as a disclaimer, I make a podcast for creative people. Like I'm not dissing that or anything, but I think that um, it's more powerful when you're getting experiences that are more just true to life. Well, the thing is, I think as a creator, you want to make stuff that is close to you, you mm-hmm. know, like you want to make stuff that you actually have an opinion about and not make every project a research project. Yeah. Like there are people that, that do work that way and love it. Yeah. But totally. I find it like really intimidating to do that. Like mm-hmm. I actually got approached recently, um, for an article where someone was doing like a, an assessment of like band logos and yeah. wanted me to like comment on right. like, how would you critique this band logo? Yeah. And I was like, nope. Like, I just, like, you know, I just didn't oh want to do gosh, it because yeah. I was like, in order for me to do a good job on this, I'm going to have to do like a ton of research about right. how this logo emerged yeah. and probably like about the culture around that band at the time. And mm. like, otherwise I'll just sound like a pedantic asshole just being like, <laughs> oh, they could have drawn that P better, you yeah, know, whatever. Yeah, yeah. And I think that like doing a design podcast for designers, you're just doing what you know, uh-huh. you know? And yeah, I think yeah. that if every, that it's the project intimidation factor, right? Mm-hmm. Because you could be like, you know what? I'm really interested in reptiles. I'm going to do a podcast about reptiles. But then like literally every podcast, you'd have to do tons of research <laughs> yeah, yeah. and do all this stuff. And so all of a sudden, something that was like quick and easy, not, not that this is easy, but something that is more intuitive. No, yeah. Um, becomes something that's really intimidating and hard and mm-hmm. requires a lot of extra effort. And that thing could be amazing, but maybe you give up on it before it gets to that point because yeah. it like was too difficult to actually kickstart. When you were uh, starting out and you did the daily drop cap and you got a bunch of attention, did you get a lot of critique from uh, all the different worlds within design about type and lettering? And I, you know, I did a little bit, but yeah. I feel like. There were, of course, some folks that were like, you're using the wrong words, right. you know? And I have a tattoo on my arm yeah. that says type that's right. in lettering. Yeah. Yeah. And at the time, I was just like, whatever. The designers have taken over the word type. Right. Like, it just means everything now. Get yeah. over it. Yeah, yeah. And um, But that's not actually true. Like, I've, actually, I've really found that the classifications mean a great deal, mm-hmm. especially in terms of, like, working with clients and setting expectations. And... Um, so yeah, there's power in like the semantics of, you oh know, yeah, yeah, because if someone tries to hire me and it's clear that they should hire a calligrapher, mm-hmm. but the person doesn't know the difference between lettering and calligraphy yeah. and I can explain it to them then they know in the future that like, oh, if I have 50 words that I need done in like a minute, then I need to hire a calligrapher, not a letterer because this letterer will take 10 times as long. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And, um, so some of the like elder type 
folks were <laughs> upset that I was such like this beacon of knowledge for a lot of young people, but not necessarily yeah. using the right terms. And but I was really open to like learning from them mm -hmm. and like being like, oh, I'm not doing that right here. Let me change. Let me change my statement. Yes. You know, I think if yeah. I was like, no, fuck you, I don't want to listen to you. Yeah. Then it would have gone really differently, but they thankfully like for the most part people reached out and were like hey you're not saying that right and i'm like oh oh thank you so much right. for correcting me i'll correct it <laughs> yeah, now yeah. um and the rare cases where they didn't where they just talk shit i tried to reach out to them mm -hmm. and be like hey like next time just write me an email because i'll totally change my game no yeah. big deal yeah and i think that um that made a huge difference and also i think one of the things that was good for me in terms of talking about my work and that i still do all the time which is kind of like a you know, it's like a safety net thing, right. is that I always talk about my experience rather than talk about like the experience. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, and it makes it a lot harder for people to like refute whatever I'm saying. Yeah. Like, so if I'm like, well, in my experience, this is this, or like in mm. these, in this, according to the knowledge that I have accrued from this, <laughs> this is this, yeah. um, versus me trying to write like Be the, the empirical yeah. thing, you know, whatever. Um, and I think that that really helped me a lot and sort of showing the folks with a lot more experience, a lot more historical knowledge, like, hey, I'm just trying to say what I have gathered from this. Yes. I'm not trying to, like, be the new Bringhurst. Right. I'm not trying to, like, you know, yeah. step on your toes because you are the authority on this thing. But I'm just trying to, like, take all this knowledge and distill mm -hmm. it in a way that people can grab new, in a new way. That's palatable accessible yeah. and yeah, and I think it's a uh, interesting character trait, like to be open to growth. Because I think sometimes when people get that kind of attention, their tendency is to like buckle down and like you know, you, I mean, you have a tattoo that yeah. says "type." So I mean, I just feel like there's a certain level of humility that has to come with, uh, you, you know, seeing all those moments as growth yeah. opportunities and like uh, up in your game and and being up for like the challenge. Well, I think too, one of the things that I've struggled with now, like later in my career is that like, it's both awful and wonderful to be like in your very early twenties doing creative work because you really just are so naive. Yeah. Like you're so naive mm -hmm. and you're not afraid of doing stuff because yeah. you just don't even know what that means later. <laughs> yeah. You know, you're like, yeah. if you make a project, you don't realize that you might be talking about it for the next 15 years. Yeah. If you make like a logo, you don't realize that people might get that tattooed on their body. You know, like there's all sorts of stuff yeah. that you do and that you're looser with because you don't know the scale of mm -hmm. repercussions from those actions and i think that i so now like i try to get back to being 22 again mm -hmm. a lot in my work uh, which is hard you know because yeah. if i make something and i i you know i put it out into the world i know that this thing's going to just be around mm -hmm. for a while yep um and just it's very freeing to not be afraid of that you yep. know especially when it comes to writing or when it comes to doing speaking or when it comes to um you know putting your opinions out there in the world you have to be able to know that like you, you might get misquoted for a thing that you said ten years ago, and people still think that's your, you know, opinion, opinion about yeah. something. And we see it all the time with celebrities and politicians mm. and things like that, where you know someone did something in like the '80s, and then they're still held accountable for it now. And I mean, as they, it should right. be a yeah, part yeah. of their history. But yeah. people can change, you know, like people can. Uh, learn new things along mm -hmm. the route that changes how they perceive that thing that they talked about, you know? And as a creative person, you have to have the ability 
to have the freedom to express yourself in any given moment. What, you know, if you have that anxiety or the fear that it's going to be misconstrued or how or other people are going to perceive it, you're never going to be doing your best work. You're yeah. always going to be afraid of, you know, how people are going to see things. Um, I think there's a difference between, I think it's really valuable to have self-awareness as a creative, to kind of have an idea of who you are, what drives you, what your talents are, what your strengths are. But sometimes I think being so intuitive about it or being so aware that it can dip into self-consciousness. Yeah. And now you're like... Well, I think too, if you work too hard to like curate everything, then it's much easier to look back and be like, man, I did that wrong. Yes. Whereas if you just work more intuitively and just put things out there Mm -hmm. and you're just like, okay, well, that might not express how I am now, but it was how I was then. Yep. You know, instead of thinking about everything that you're doing as this like total package that is encapsulates your work forever. You have to think of like it encapsulates you at that time. Mm -hmm. And I think like to get back to tattoo stuff, I feel like, I feel like almost everybody should get a shitty tattoo when they're 18, you know, because like (laughs) it marks, it's like a date. It marks. Yeah. And I think that I think too, like if you're a kind of person that has always wanted to get a tattoo, but it's too intimidated to get a tattoo, you have to think that it's actually the design doesn't matter. Right. It's like whatever is going to remind you of that moment in time and bring you back there. That's the yeah. thing that matters. Right. And I think, too, people that put together – that do public speaking and are more off the cuff in uh-huh. their public speaking, when I put together a slide deck, I'm not like, oh, I definitely want to make sure that I show these like 10 best pieces of my work because yeah. the, I might not have good stories about those 10 best True. pieces of my work. So I'll put in the image – that reminds me of the story to tell. Mm-hmm. And I yeah, think that too. like tattoos are that like, you know, if you have something on your body yeah. and all you're doing is critiquing the design itself, right. then like you don't have a good enough story yeah. for that tattoo. Like, yep. right. That's really good. I always thought that I don't have one and I am someone intimidated. I have an idea of what I want to do, but my theory was that you should get something that you would like as you were, when you were six years old Yeah, because you're likely to like it. Forever, if you like it now and when you were six, I want to get the. Uh, do you know, like Alexander Gerard's like black birds uh-huh. that he does? I want that. I you would like, like when I'll you were six. Like you were a way cooler six year old than me. <laughs> no, I would have liked it because I, I and even like all of my uh, favorite superheroes, I only yeah. liked the ones that had like the most slick, minimal costumes. Like, and you just had real good taste. I would, <laughs> I would have definitely gotten like the rainbow fish tattooed on me. Like that would have been yeah. it. Oh my gosh. Uh, so I think, what, what do you think it is about you that, uh, other than just being really good at what you do, like what you do, what do you think it is about your personality type that, um, has contributed to your success? Um, I think the top thing is like, I am a pretty self-aware person. Like I, I examine myself a lot and I do that for me more than for other people. Like I don't do it to be like, how can I be better? You know, like how can can I I change my personality to present myself? I don't do that. Yeah. Um, cause I think that that is like a shitty game to get into and then masks on and all Yeah. And like creating a persona that is your public persona. It's just hard. Like nobody wants to keep up with that. It sucks. Um, but I do try to ask myself what my motivations are for things a lot. Mm -hmm. I do try to look at the work that I'm doing and say like, man, I am dragging my feet on this project. What about this project is making me drag my feet? How do I get past that? Or how do I do stuff in the future that is not this project? Because like clearly something is not up, is is not going right with this. Yep. Um, So being thoughtful. Being thoughtful about 
what you want to do, how, like, what kind of impact you want to have, like, how you want to make yourself happy, how you want to, like, be a better human being so that, like, you're better for other people. Like, that's really important. And I think, like, I am a really, like, I have... I'm a very empathetic person to mm-hmm. like a point where it's like almost disordered. Me like, too. I, um, like when my kids are sick, I'm sick. Yeah. Like I'm dead, like hurting. Like I'm like, I was like watching like these horrible like police shooting videos stuff Ugh. last night at like midnight, like crying in bed and like, yeah. you know, and I think that that can be, it can be really destructive mm. if I like let it take over. Your whole life. But yeah. it can also feel like I have x-ray vision mm. on like helping other people yeah. because I feel like it's really easy to put myself in other people's shoes. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of times when professionals get really far into their career, it's really difficult to remember the like small moments of like, holy shit, my life has changed forever because of this tiny thing that totally set like changed my perspective about stuff. Like a mindset shift. Yeah. Yeah. And like even with, um, when I made don't fear the internet, um, and forced my husband to do it with me, um, he, you know, had been doing web design for a lot of years. And when we were thinking about lesson plans and stuff for the for the thing, if, if people don't know about it, it's I teach basic HTML and CSS to mm-hmm. non-web people. And what I found when I was teaching myself that stuff is that all of these resources out there were, like, a little too intense. Mm-hmm. Like, they were incredibly rich, but it was built for people that, like, were web designers or, yes. like, wanted to do it full time. And I found that it was really hard to find, like, here, let me just – kind of explain the basics to you in a way that isn't like a really boring how-to mm-hmm. YouTube video. Yeah. Um, and so when we were putting our lesson plan together, like Russ would be like, oh, we should talk about the box model and we should do this. And I'm like, you know what we should do first? <laughs> we should teach people how to not make links blue. Right. You know, and that is so basic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I remember that joy. Like I remember mm-hmm. being able to do that. And I think that the thing that it's helped me in terms of my success, um, you know, in being like more public figurey, mm. is that when, pe- like, whenever I talk about my work, I really try to get down to people's level. Yes. Whenever I talk about like pursuing your dreams and all that kind of stuff that people talk about all the time, I don't tell people to quit their day job. I don't tell people to like blow up their whole existence yeah. to like do something because yes. they feel like there's something wrong in their lives. Yep. I try to like help them work through their existing situation and acknowledge the roadblocks and Mm -hmm. acknowledge their strengths and acknowledge that the fact that like not everyone is going to be able to just drop everything and move to New York and take an unpaid internship. Like you might be starting off your career as a creative in your like early thirties after you already have several kids and like live in a small town and have a sick parent. And like, there are things that are just a part of our lives that prevent us from having the like normal dream path. Yes. And that doesn't mean that it's not achievable. It just means that you have to be more creative about how you get there. Mm -hmm. And so I think the reason why I've, you know, had a lot of success within just public speaking and that kind of thing is that I try to inspire people in a real way, Mm. not in a like fluffy way, not in a fluffy way. Yeah. And give people practical tips about how to, um, you know, make these little changes to their lives that can make a big difference. Mm -hmm. I think that it sounds like you're describing being an intuitive person, being able to put yourself in other people's position, know what other people might be thinking. But I also think it's what's fascinating is that you're intuitive, but you also, um, have an inclination to like technical, practical 
like even printing processes and code. I feel like those that combination of traits is really unusual. Well, I think I think what a lot of people forget about is that intuition is just a built up knowledge bank applied unconsciously. Right. You know, yeah. like you intuition gut intuition is our bodies it's telling us like, like you've backlog. experienced a thing similar to this, you should act this way. Mm-hmm. And like what you can kind of do as an examination is like think about a thing that you did intuitively and then walk backwards mm-hmm. and ask yourself, why did I do that thing? Yep. You know, and you can do that for any kind of aspect of your life, professionally, for your dating life, you know, whatever. <laughs> and yeah. there's always a reason. Like, mm-hmm. you're, you can always go back and do it. And it's like self-therapy. Yes. You know, you can, there's always another layer. There's always another layer. Like, you yeah. can say, like, oh, well, clearly I did that because, like, two years ago I did this thing and that failed miserably and I was afraid of doing that thing again, so therefore I did this other thing. Mm-hmm. And I think that because I really love that. I love breaking Me things too. down. Yeah. yeah. And I love like, you know, medical shows and I, you know, I love, I like understanding (laughs) how things work and the process of things. And I like examining, you know, that in terms of my mental process, Mm -hmm. that that's where the technical stuff happens is like, I feel that I'm actually just an incredibly technical person Mm. is what I'm realizing. Right. But that my intuition is just loads and loads and loads of slow accrued technical knowledge. Yeah, yeah. And I think, but I think it's, do you think it's unusual? Like my dad is a uh, accountant finance person who also happens to be uh, intuitive and able to like speak in big picture and be, and make jokes. And it's just this combination of things like that are, that's pretty unusual. Well, the thing is though, I feel like as much as I'm I'm really good at analogies, like right. I'm an analogy person. <laughs> Me too. I'm obsessed. I love it. I yeah. love it. Yeah, I, yeah. And I, I I couldn't make one up right now because it only happens when I'm like in crazy the in the, the moment zone. in yeah. the zone. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I'm not a good big picture thinker. Like right. if you want me to like, I would never be a good like company visionary. Like I yeah. I'm like a build from like a technician. small up. Yeah. You know, like when I think about building a business, I don't think about it in like a Silicon Valley way. Mm-hmm. I don't think about it in like a let's like broadly think about what's missing in the world and then work our way to get to there. Mm-hmm. I think, what are these five things in the room with me? What can right. I make from these five things? You know, and so there is a scale issue with that where I do feel like it will be difficult for me to ever work on anything that is at an enormous scale. Mm. Um, but I've just come to accept that as being like that's maybe not the work that I'm interested in doing. Maybe yeah. the work that I'm interested in doing only scale so far because I do like to kind of like work from what's around me out. There's this uh, term, which I forget who told me about this. I'm sure I could look it up. Okay. Um, and it's about like, you know, trying to find your path and what you're doing in life yeah. and whatever. And everybody has this like destination that they're going to, mm-hmm. right? They're like, my ultimate destination is this. Like, And you might think about that. Even if you're not like a big picture person, you might think, you know, 10 work years down the for, line, generally I want to get to this place. Yep. And some people come up with like a real strict like plan to get mm-hmm. there. They, they come up with a straight line. Yep. They see the light and they make a straight line to the light. Yep. And then there's this other group of people that do this thing called Tarzanning. Tarzanning. Yeah. So <laughs> I already like where this is going. What Tarzan does is he has a destination, but he's swinging on a vine. Mm-hmm. And what he has to do is when he gets to the to end the of that end vine, of vine to right. just grab one of the vines that's close and hopefully the one that is getting him closest to the destination. Yes. But the thing is, you have, you're working with what's around you. Yeah. You're not like blindly 
opposed to including that stuff because you have this really strict path. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, like, I'm a Tarzaner for, like, all things. Like, I look, like, what do I have here? What can I do with that? Mm -hmm. Um, And that limits me for sure. Like, if I didn't do that and I came up with, like, bigger picture, more ambitious stuff, I probably could achieve bigger things. Like, I could build an empire, whatever, you know? (laughs) But, But that's just... It's not me. So I think if I had, I would have to hire someone else to do that for me. And Mm -hmm. then that's a whole other thing. Yeah. And I think the way I always describe it is, uh, I think our nature is to lean either to making stuff happen or just going with the flow. And I found that a good balance of that is having an idea where you want to go, trying something and then being open to the, where that takes you and seeing where that, like that rope, that, uh, vine might take you somewhere unexpected and kind of go with it from there. Yeah. Um, so another question I wanted to ask you that I don't feel like <coughs> I've heard you answer is about marketing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know how you feel about that word, but I, I find it like pretty fascinating that in terms of like home runs in marketing that you have, you're like Babe Ruth. Uh, <laughs> because I think about like um, just you know, I don't know how intentional or strategic you have been about it, but I think about all the different personal projects that you've done and, and the, the reach that they've had, uh, is, I mean, I guess I'm saying, do you feel like other people have noticed that? Or is that something that you're doing, uh, intentionally that you enjoy as much as the other, you know, the type and all that? So I haven't intentionally marketed myself. Right. Like I haven't come up with like a social this is the media marketing plan. plan. Right. Yeah, you know, like that's not what I do. Yeah, yeah. Um, but and I, I'm happy that you asked about this because I have things to say. Um, yes. So the I do have people that reach out to me and are like, "How do you develop your personal brand?" And I'm right. like, for one thing, just do not fucking use the word personal brand. Like if you're if you're attacking, <laughs> I it, have so much to say yeah, about that. But I'm like, if you're attacking it from that angle, yes, like if you're right. si- sitting down and being develop? like, "What's How, my business who, plan who for my be? personal brand?" Yeah, I think. It's you're already setting yourself up to fail, um, yes. but I mean that's just me too. Like there are people that like don't want to open themselves up as mm-hmm. much as I do. Because yeah. the thing is, the thing that has worked for me is that I have this real desire to like when I talk to people for them to actually know who I am. Yes, like to be known. and not to know who I am in terms of fame. Just like if I talk to you. And I say something, Mm -hmm. I want you to know that, like, I say that from my heart, you know, like, and that is genuine. And that's like, and I want you to, like, feel like the things that are coming in my mouth are you knowing me. Yes. And that, like, if I do something and it happens to be shitty, I didn't do that on purpose. Like, that was not, it was not me being malicious. Right. And so, and I, like, I started going to therapy. And (laughs) one of the things that we talk about. When you moved to California. Yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) And so one of the things that we talk about a lot is that, is, is that, is Mm. that, like, I feel this huge desire for people to like know me to, like if you're going to know me you have to know me to the core right you can't just know a surface version of mm-hmm. me cuz i don't want you to make assumptions about yeah. who i am My or what i am is like that. and yeah. it's really important to me but it's also really exhausting right mm-hmm. because like clearly not everyone's going to know you you know yeah. so one of my like pieces of homework for my therapist right. is just like if someone makes a wrong assumption about you don't correct them mm. and see how you feel about <laughs> it you know it's really hard wow. you yeah. know um but that was sort of you know, I've come to understand that about myself. Yeah. And that's really like my social media plan. Right. It's basically yes. just me being me being, and being yeah. really excited that I feel like people that follow my work aren't just following the work. They're like 
following me and that we are like somehow weird internet cosmic friends. Um, and so I've always just shared my excitement for my projects if it was genuine Mm -hmm. or my sadness about stuff if it was genuine or my frustration about stuff if it was genuine. And, um, because of that, I feel like people came initially for the work, but they would stay because they felt like They they knew me and they knew someone that was like, you know, doing something that maybe they wanted to do, but mm-hmm. was very warts and all about it. And so giving a more like realistic perception of what it is to do that thing and yeah. not like this perfect curated, you know, scene, um, which is intimidating. Like nobody wants to like see, like, I mean, if you follow someone that is outrageously successful, like global proper successful yeah. and try to understand the steps of how that happened or like what their life is like. It's, it's impossible. It's like, it feels you're so far removed from it that it doesn't feel like even if you wanted to set up a fashion house or whatever, you can't connect the dots. It just feels like you're eons away from being able to get there. But I like feeling that people, like I like feeling like people's big sister where Mm -hmm. like I make it so that like, look, you can achieve your dreams. Even a, even a sloppy person like me can do it, you know, whatever. Um, but one of the things um, that I noticed recently is that I have started to have to curate it because of the parenting thing, and it sucks. I hate it. Oh, man. Um, when I first had Ramona, you hate having to curate. I hate having to curate it. Right. It it drives me nuts because I don't want to. I don't want to hide my life from mm-hmm. people. Like I don't want to hide things that I'm excited about or mm-hmm. that I am exhausted from or that whatever. Yeah. And when I first had the baby. I got so much amazing positive feedback from other moms because of me talking about how hard it was and me talking about like, holy shit, I'm back at work and I'm literally not doing anything except pumping my boobs. Yeah. Like there's so much about being a new parent that I feel like people gloss over or, or like just, totally. it's not even that they gloss over, it's that they're just not as open as I am. They're not like willing to share because that's just not who they are, you know, like, and that's totally fine and valid. Mm-hmm. Um, but like even I shared a photo of myself right after I had the baby and I left the house for the first time and I still had like full on baby paunch right. like going on. <laughs> and I got all these emails from women being like, that is so brave. I've mm. never seen someone share their like post-birth body that was like not, you know, in perfect shape yeah. again. And, yeah. you know, it's like I didn't even, you know, and I got letters from women being like, I didn't even know that your body does that after you have a baby. Like, you know, you just see all these celebrities and they bounce back and blah, blah, blah. And like, it's just so refreshing. Mm. And so that's really empowering to me. And like, I want to be that person. And so I continued sharing about baby and life stuff. But what I noticed is I just kept getting emails from clients like eight months, a year in, like, hey, Jessica, I don't know if you're back at work yet, but mm-hmm. hey, mm-hmm. Jessica, are, if you're, are you in the office full time? I don't know if you're at home with your kid, whatever. Yeah. Because when too much of my feed was about kid and not about work, people were making assumptions that I just wasn't working. Mm-hmm. And so it sucks because really, like, if you are a parent, you know that, like, the source of your joy in life is your kid. Yeah. Like I love work yeah. and I still get super amped about projects, but like this this tiny person is just fucking endless pumping joy and yeah. like just is different levels. Yeah, it's yeah. like it's like a love pacemaker in your body where it's just like pumping <laughs> yeah. or like an insulin pump of yeah. love that's mm-hmm. like attached to you and like all day long you're just feeding you're getting fed this intense love yes and yeah. it's awesome and i want to talk about it but i have had to basically cut the baby out of my social media stuff because mm-hmm. and it was the effect was immediate like mm-hmm. it was like the second that i started posting yeah, new work, work i started getting way more work requests 
And I had a bunch of friends. I talked to some friends about this, and they were saying, you know, like, oh, I really thought that you were going to help change the game and blah, blah, blah. And I just... I just like couldn't be a Can martyr. I, is this yours? Yeah, that's me. Can I put this on there? Oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> and I was like, you know, I want to contribute to making this situation better for women, but yeah. I just can't be a martyr to the cause entirely, you no. know? And yeah. what I can do and what I hope to do from it is to talk more about it in things like this, you know, like in public speaking things where I can give proper context mm -hmm. and not like just post baby photos on Instagram, which oh, then yeah. clients peruse and just think I'm at home, mm -hmm. you know? So... It's something that I definitely want to have conversations about and like talk about because there really is this intense double standard. I mean, I have a, I share a studio with a, another lettering artist who Eric. has Eric Marinovich who yep. has two kids, and if he posts a kid photo, no one would assume that he wasn't back at work. You know, true. No one totally. would assume that. Yeah. Chris Silas Neal, uh, who's an illustrator, he posts kid photos all the time. No one's going to assume that. You're still at work, Chris. Yeah. No yeah. one's going to ask him, "Are you still at work, Chris?" Mm. And that's just a thing. And it's you know, it's not a. It's not that clients are doing it maliciously. They're doing it respectfully. Yeah. They're trying to be respectful of my time. But, and, you know, for every client that reaches out to me and asks me if I'm back at work, I know there's 10 clients that aren't reaching out and just assuming I'm not at work. Yeah. And that's something, it's a perception that I want to change, um, you know, about being a working parent. And the only way that I found to do it now is just to, like, not talk about it in an archivable yeah. <laughs> environment. <laughs> uh, yeah. And I always talk about, I, the, the, I didn't, so I've done a bunch of episodes on all kinds of different things and I purposefully avoided the idea of personal brand because of the grossness of the whole idea. Uh, but the problem with that is, and the reason why I'm going to do an episode around the topic somehow, uh, is because I do think that it's incredibly powerful. Well, the thing that you can think about it if you don't want to think about personal brand yeah. is you think about how people introduce you at a cocktail party, mm -hmm. right? And the thing is, like, normal people or people that aren't career-focused, where it's more their personal life, yeah. like, they get known for, like, the stories that they were a part of because you'll meet someone and they'll be like, oh, remember how I told you that story about so-and-so climbed on the roof and jumped in the swimming pool? Like, that's that person. And so, like, you get known for the, the infamous things that you did. Mm -hmm. And then you get to help – you get to figure out what of those things – what things you want those to be, yeah. right? And that's why it's important not to, like, you know, to adhere to your grandparents' thing of, like, don't do something you wouldn't want to see on the front page of the New York Times, you know? And yeah, yeah. Because you do get remembered for those things more than anything. Yeah, more yeah, than anything. Yeah. But career-wise, you sort of have to figure out how to carve out what those adjectives are going to be yep. about how people describe you. And, like, I do more things than lettering. Mm. Like, I do. Like, I do web design for fun projects, and I love to write, and I love to do whatever. And... But when people introduce me, they're going to say, oh, here's Jessica. She's a letterer. Did you see Moonrise Kingdom? She did the titles. Mm -hmm. Then that's my introduction. And like you always sort of think about what's that sentence or two that people are going to say about you that like put – it does put you in a box. Which that wasn't technically lettering though, right? That well, it was and it okay. wasn't. So All I did lettering right. for the I'm front titles and then, titled, and then type design for the back titles but then I ended up doing it. Whatever. But – if you just always sort of think about like how someone would introduce you and if whatever they're saying is not what you want to hear, how yeah. do you change that? Yep. That's personal brand. I mean, that's like essentially what it is. And I think about it. Uh, I think a lot of people think about personal brand like a mask that you put on. Yeah. And I'm thinking of it more like the boundaries that you want to set. With, exactly. With people, yeah. Exactly. Which is more healthy. But I, you know, it's interesting like you having to put up boundaries as someone who likes to be very 
uh, free and open about your life. It's interesting. Uh, have, has, have you regretted, um, sharing so much in the past before Romana? I, have, I haven't really, because I feel like the thing that's really, you know, worked for me yeah. was like the fact that I accidentally, like just, I incidentally happened to like things that I feel like appeal to both men and women, mm. you know, that, um, you know, I've learned about things through friends introducing me to them that have like, you already have this kind of personality perception about people that like that thing. Right. So yeah. therefore like me saying like, Oh, like I like whiskey, but I only like this kind. And mm -hmm. I went to Scotland did this thing. Then you have this perception of me that is like, Oh, a woman that likes whiskey. I know that she's yeah. like, whatever. Well, they get to know you and they feel like, well, this is the reason why it's something I want to talk about, even though I know that there's all the, the semantics and negativity and there is all kinds of, you know, grossness about personal brand. But I think, one of the things that I keep thinking about is if you take the top 10 or 15 build designers and you go on Behance, you're going to find a lot of people that maybe are just as technically good. Oh, yeah, 100%. But not I mean, as I'm, memorable. I'm the first to acknowledge that I am not the most talented at what I do. Right. I, there are probably thousands of people that are better <laughs> at what I do than what I do right. um, in terms of talent. Right. But the things that I am good at is I'm a really good communicator mm. and really like that's why I love client work. Like I could probably, I probably fail miserably as like a lettering fine artist because mm. that's all talent, you know, that's all like pen on paper, whatever. Yeah. Um, but what I'm really good at is I'm great to work with as a client, you know, like, cause I really listen to you mm -hmm. and I really want to make, like, I really, like, I get a lot of joy out of that process. I don't see it as like a combative situation where like you're trying to ruin my artwork. Yeah. And I think that there are a lot of designers that are just like, I just want to make my thing and they're <laughs> ruining my creative juices yeah. or whatever. And like, they might have way more physical talent than I do or way more knowledge or whatever, but they're just less open to the collaborative process mm -hmm. or less excited about the collaborative process. Therefore, they're just not going to be as successful in terms of cl client work. Yeah. You know? And I think that it's, like, I've been lucky because I am naturally extroverted. It took me a while to figure out that I was naturally extroverted. Right. I wasn't yeah. the most naturally extroverted kid because I, yeah. I care a lot about what people think about me. And right. that's one of the things that is not great about, like, and it's one of the things I have to deal with a lot. You know, I, like, if I hear someone say something negative about me, I get very upset about it. Mm. And so I think that keeps... So being a public person, that can be, that's got to be a challenge. It can be a challenge. Yeah. Um, but again, like, if you're just, like, I, if you're making stuff because you love it, and you can say, like, whatever, you don't like my thing, it's optional for you to be here. Like, yep. you know, you don't like the things I'm saying? I, this is not required <laughs> reading. Like, go away, you know? Yeah, totally. And, but it takes a lot of time and confidence building up to get to that point. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, I think just like, God, I forget even where, where I was going with this, but, right. <laughs> but oh yeah. So I'm like, I'm like a naturally like extroverted people person. Like I get a lot of energy from talking to people and from mm -hmm. like, you know, not a lot of people think of public speaking as being like the most terrifying thing they could ever do. And they get off the stage and they want to crawl into a hole and die. Yeah. And that's my favorite thing. Yeah. And that's not me. Like I get off stage and I'm like, I'm fucking amped. Let's yeah. go out. Like, let's ride roller coasters. You know, yeah, I'm just yeah. like, so yeah. I would get so amped up about it. And if mm -hmm. I go to a party, like if I go to an industry party, I leave the party being like, where's the after party? Yeah. You know, Don't and let the party stop. it's just because I'm so excited to be mm -hmm. around people and to like, and I'm, I'm genuinely interested in meeting other people, even if they're like, 
you know, not people of note. Like I'm right. interested yeah. in all people. I feel like all people have interesting stories. Totally. And that has been the thing that has propelled my career the most, mm-hmm. like much more so than talent. Do you think it's an unusual trait for someone in our field? I think it's unusual in type and lettering. That's what I, yeah, yeah. I agree. I think that, um, I, not with lettering. I mean, it's a generalization. Yeah. No, I, but, yeah. But I but. feel like when, generally when you talk about careers that are very time intensive, that involve a lot of alone time, alone time, yeah. people that tend to gravitate towards those are people that don't get off on people time mm-hmm. and that they like love people. They want to go out, yep. but they're, they get a lot more of their energy from being alone. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, that's like the basic definition of introvert, extrovert. Introverts right. are not antisocial. They just, they have a battery that gets slowly drained the more people they hang out with yes. and they have to refill that battery by right. having personal time. Yeah. And I get drained by not being around people and I have to refill it by being around people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I do think it's rare. But I think a really interesting thing about that is the self-awareness to know not just about your field and your knowledge of the talent and the lettering, that actually a lot of what differentiates you is everything else about you. Oh, and yeah. That, yeah. And that changes how people perceive you. It also helps you um, maximize. Like I feel like my ability to talk about creativity is has made me a way more successful way more successful illustrator yeah being able to talk about it and knowing that that's something i'm good at that's unrelated but i can kind of but it's absolutely related because the thing is like when you when you're an illustrator or designer that works with clients one of your primary jobs yeah is to make sure the client feels like they're in good hands and that they trust you Mm-hmm. And also to make them feel excited about the work that you're doing. And so what I think about too is like what I really want the client to walk away with is I want them to be an advocate for the work that I'm doing for them. Yeah. Like I want them to walk away. Super pumped. And if someone – them to be super pumped. But not only that, but like if I'm doing logo work for instance, like the kind of logo work that I'm really interested in doing is like the little tweaky technical stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, like the MailChimp thing. Yeah, like the yeah. MailChimp thing. Like taking logos that already exist and making them better. Like I love it. I love that kind of work. You know why? Because it's like hyper-technical. Right. It's very much focused on like a lot – it's not as um, – you know, it's not as subjective mm-hmm. as when you're making something from scratch where you like art. I love objective art. By yeah, the time yeah. Time, yeah. I really like the it. The craft of it and being kind of a scientist about yeah, it. Yeah, I like to make objective decisions about things and to like also have that as a toolkit to then hand to clients. Mm-hmm. So like the reason why I love that kind of work is because I want the client to be psyched about the work that I'm doing, but I also want to know that like if they're going to hang out with their like fancy industry friends or investors or whatever. And those people ask them like, why did you spend all this money making your logo only a little bit better? They say, Oh my God, we did this and this and this, and they can parrot back those facts that I've taught them. And Mm -hmm. it makes them feel empowered because they can defend the decision that they made amid people that are maybe questioning it. Mm. And then it also like really reinforces the fact that the work that I did, you know, is important for other people, you know? So they're like helping to advertise the work that I'm doing by just being psyched about the work that I did. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to be sensitive about your time. I know this is like going on a long time, but, uh, do you think that the outside perception sometimes, um, that especially like young designers maybe, uh, underestimate the amount of craft time and intensity of like your expertise on the actual design side 
and think that it's maybe something else that's like easily mimicked or either, you know, personality wise or uh, uh, even just, I don't know, style or whatever. Well, I think the big thing that people forget about is that like when you have done something for a long while, you just become much more efficient at it, Yeah, you know, just much more efficient. So they might see me do like a demo of something and see how fast I can work mm-hmm. and think, oh my God, well, she charges way too much because she does this so fast. Right. Not yeah. realizing that like 10 That's years funny. ago, I was not that fast, you know, and it took a long time to get to this point. And that you have to pay for that time. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And that's why, you know, I talk about not, I don't charge hourly for anything because it's really difficult for creatives to charge what they deserve yes, hourly totally. because there's this double standard of like, if you like what you do, you shouldn't get paid very well mm-hmm. because like what we do is like, like love, fun hobby, fun yeah. coloring. Yeah. Um, and, but you know, like lawyers and things like that have no problem charging four or $500 an hour. But if yeah. a creative was like, Oh, you want me to do a poster? It'll be $650 an hour. Everyone would be like, ha, like what the, the fuck? Yeah. The you funny know? thing about that is though, is that, like my dad is in finance. He loves it as much as I love what I do. And the return on investment of a true talented uh, craftsman of a creative is enormous. Like yeah, the, the return it is. on investment is going but to be But it's also massive. it's difficult to quantify it sometimes. It's difficult to quantify. It's sometimes it's not difficult. Like right. I like work with logo clients sometimes that take the designs that I do and do a lot of market research right. before approving things. Yep. And then they get they have quantifiable results. But not everybody does that or can do that. Yep. And if you're just like taking some especially if you're doing something that's like refinement work mm-hmm. and trying to quantify the public perception of your company that hasn't changed that much, um, but, you know, has changed, that can sometimes be difficult to quantify. And I think the businesses that are exploding the most, the ones that everybody's talking about, give proper space to creativity to be not always, you know, easy to measure and and hyper-productive in the same way that other types of business uh, may be. And I think that I'm hoping that that will catch on like like Apple and well, I know one one of the things that I think has caught on is that people realize how good of a recruiting tool that being open to creativity is true, you know, and I think that that's a quantifiable measure Mm -hmm. that like if even if you can't say that like, oh, spending this extra time to do this offsite or, you know, whatever or, or, you know, having all of our uh, employees like take a workshop to learn something is quantifiably going to change the brand, what it does do is make your employees happier and then makes them want to bring their actual good like friends to come into the company rather than you having to rely on cold call like monster.com kind of stuff. And that's huge. I mean, that is really huge for big companies to attract actual talented human beings instead of just warm bodies. Yeah. And if you look at this company gives, you know, a day a week for open creativity, no, you know, no metrics, we're not measuring them, and then that company's incredibly profitable, even if you can't directly connect the links. I think that, I'm hoping that that catches on because I think there's a real disconnect between business and art Yeah, there shouldn't be. Yeah. Um, so anyway, well, unless you had anything else to say. No, I feel like that was awesome. I think we had a really good, uh, a good podcast. Um, okay, well, thanks for doing this, Jessica. Good sesh, yeah. Yep. Such a great conversation.
conversation. Thank you, Jessica, for being on the show. You know, I can't imagine having that kind of visibility on my career and my work and the stress of all of that and the scrutiny and all that stuff. Um, but, you know, I think Jessica is an example of someone who is the real deal. She is very, very smart and articulate, and her work is of the highest level. And I think that, um, you know, young designers and old have a lot they can learn from all that she's done already. And I'm sure she has so much more to give. Go check out her book, In Progress. I uh, I don't have it yet, but I flipped through it at Icon, and it was beautiful with all kinds of really interesting, detailed information about making great lettering work. Go check that out. Thank you, Jessica, again. We really, really appreciate it. It was a great time. Guys, thank you, guys. Thanks, guys, guys. Thank you. <laughs> thank you guys for uh, listening to the show so avidly and uh, for sharing it like crazy. Man, you know, I, I know I'm an illustrator, but this show has just been the best thing uh, ever. It's just so fun for me to do and so fun to share this stuff with you guys. Um, thanks for listening. Thanks for sharing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks to our syndicate illustration age you can find the show at illustrationage.com slash creative pep talk you can find it on our website creativepeptalk.com thanks to yoni wolf and the band y for our theme music at the beginning and the end thanks to all the other tunes from the band metavari um from my man nate utesh uh i love nate utesh and i love saying his name his last name is really fun to say thank you for letting us use that music it makes the podcast sound beautiful Guys, go check out Ask a Freelancer podcast uh, and cushionapp.com. Thanks so much. And don't forget that your creative works, your, your creativity, it hinges on staying excited, staying motivated, and staying pepped up. So, you know, do it. Stay pepped up. 